Chapter One of Childhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Childhood by Leo Tolstoy. Translated by Charles James Hogarth, eighteen sixty nine to nineteen forty five. Chapter One The Tutor karl ivanitch on the twelfth of august eighteen something just three days after my tenth birthday when i had been given such wonderful presents i was awakened at seven o'clock in the morning by karl ivanitch slapping the wall close to my head with a fly-flap made of sugar-paper and a stick he did this so roughly that he hit the image of my patron saint suspended to the oaken back of my bed and the dead fly fell down on my curls i peeped out from under the coverlet steadied the still shaking image with my hand flicked the dead fly on to the floor and gazed at karl ivanitch with sleepy wrathful eyes he in a party-coloured wadded dressing-gown fastened about the waist with a wide belt of the same material a red knitted cap adorned with a tassel and soft slippers of goatskin went on walking round the walls and taking aim at and slapping flies suppose i thought to myself that i am only a small boy yet why should he disturb me why does he not go killing flies around volodya's bed no volodya is older than i and i am the youngest of the family so he torments me that is what he thinks of all day long how to tease me he knows very well that he has woken me up and frightened me but he pretends not to notice it disgusting brute and his dressing-gown and cap and tassel too they are all of them disgusting while i was thus inwardly venting my wrath upon karl ivanitch he had passed to his own bedstead looked at his watch which hung suspended in a little shoe sewn with bugles and deposited the fly-flap on a nail then evidently in the most cheerful mood possible he turned round to us get up children it is quite time and your mother is already in the drawing-room he exclaimed in his strong german accent then he crossed over to me sat down at my feet and took his snuff-box out of his pocket i pretended to be asleep karl ivanitch sneezed wiped his nose flicked his fingers and began amusing himself by teasing me and tickling my toes as he said with a smile well well little lazy one for all my dread of being tickled i determined not to get out of bed or to answer him but hid my head deeper in the pillow kicked out with all my strength and strained every nerve to keep from laughing how kind he is and how fond of us i thought to myself yet to think that i could be hating him so just now i felt angry both with myself and with karl ivanitch i wanted to laugh and to cry at the same time for my nerves were all on edge leave me alone karl i exclaimed at length with tears in my eyes as i raised my head from beneath the bedclothes karl ivanitch was taken aback he left off tickling my feet and asked me kindly what the matter was and i had a disagreeable dream his good german face and the sympathy with which he sought to know the cause of my tears made them flow the faster i felt conscience-stricken and could not understand how only a minute ago i had been hating karl and thinking his dressing-gown and cap and tassel disgusting on the contrary they looked eminently lovable now even the tassel seemed another token of his goodness i replied that i was crying because i had had a bad dream and had seen mamma dead and being buried 
of course it was a mere invention since i did not remember having dreamt anything at all that night but the truth was that karl's sympathy as he tried to comfort and reassure me had gradually made me believe that i had dreamt such a horrible dream and so weep the more though from a different cause to the one he imagined when karl ivanitch had left me i sat up in bed and proceeded to draw my stockings over my little feet the tears had quite dried now yet the mournful thought of the invented dream was still haunting me a little presently uncle this term is often applied by children to old servants in russia nikola came in a neat little man who was always grave methodical and respectful as well as a great friend of karl's he brought with him our clothes and boots at least boots for volodya and for myself the old detestable beribboned shoes in his presence i felt ashamed to cry and moreover the morning sun was shining so gaily through the window and volodya standing at the washstand as he mimicked maria ivanovna my sister's governess was laughing so loud and so long that even the serious nikola a towel over his shoulder the soap in one hand and the basin in the other could not help smiling as he said will you please let me wash you vladimir petrovitch i had cheered up completely are you nearly ready came karl's voice from the schoolroom the tone of that voice sounded stern now and had nothing in it of the kindness which had just touched me so much in fact in the schoolroom karl was altogether a different man from what he was at other times there he was the tutor i washed and dressed myself hurriedly and a brush still in my hand as i smoothed my wet hair answered to his call karl with spectacles on nose and a book in his hand was sitting as usual between the door and one of the windows to the left of the door were two shelves one of them the children's that is to say ours and the other one karl's own upon ours were heaped all sorts of books lesson books and play-books some standing up and some lying down the only two standing decorously against the wall were two large volumes of a histoire des voyages in red binding on that shelf could be seen books thick and thin and books large and small as well as covers without books and books without covers since everything got crammed up together anyhow when playtime arrived and we were told to put the library as karl called these shelves in order the collection of books on his own shelf was if not so numerous as ours at least more varied three of them in particular i remember namely a german pamphlet minus a cover on manuring cabbages in kitchen gardens a history of the seven years war bound in parchment and burnt at one corner and a course of hydrostatics though karl passed so much of his time in reading that he had injured his sight by doing so he never read anything beyond these books and the northern bee another article on karl's shelf i remember well this was a round piece of cardboard fastened by a screw to a wooden stand with a sort of comic picture of a lady and a hairdresser glued to the cardboard karl was very clever at fixing pieces of cardboard together and had devised this contrivance for shielding his weak eyes from any very strong light i can see him before me now the tall figure in its wadded dressing-gown and red cap a few grey hairs visible beneath the latter sitting beside the table the screen with a hairdresser shading his face one hand holding a book and the other one resting on the arm of the chair before him lie his watch with a huntsman painted on the dial a check cotton handkerchief a round black snuff-box and a green spectacle case 
the neatness and orderliness of all these articles show clearly that karl ivanitch has a clear conscience and a quiet mind sometimes when tired of running about the salon downstairs i would steal on tiptoe to the schoolroom and find karl sitting alone in his armchair as with a grave and quiet expression on his face he perused one of his favourite books yet sometimes also there were moments when he was not reading and when the spectacles had slipped down his large aquiline nose and the blue half-closed eyes and faintly smiling lips seemed to be gazing before them with a curious expression all would be quiet in the room not a sound being audible save his regular breathing and the ticking of the watch with the hunter painted on the dial he would not see me and i would stand at the door and think poor poor old man there are many of us and we can play together and be happy but he sits there all alone and has nobody to be fond of him surely he speaks truth when he says that he is an orphan and the story of his life too how terrible it is i remember him telling it to nicola how dreadful to be in his position then i would feel so sorry for him that i would go to him and take his hand and say dear karl ivanitch and he would be visibly delighted whenever i spoke to him like this and would look much brighter on the second wall of the schoolroom hung some maps mostly torn but glued together again by karl's hand on the third wall in the middle of which stood the door hung on one side of the door a couple of rulers one of them ours much bescratched and the other one his quite a new one with on the further side of the door a blackboard on which our more serious faults were marked by circles and our lesser faults by crosses to the left of the blackboard was the corner in which we had to kneel when naughty how well i remember that corner the shutter on the stove the ventilator above it and the noise which it made when turned sometimes i would be made to stay in that corner till my back and knees were aching all over and i would think to myself has karl ivanitch forgotten me he goes on sitting quietly in his armchair and reading his hydrostatics while i then to remind him of my presence i would begin gently turning the ventilator round or scratching some plaster off the wall but if by chance an extra-large piece fell upon the floor the fright of it was worse than any punishment i would glance round at karl but he would still be sitting there quietly book in hand and pretending that he had noticed nothing in the middle of the room stood a table covered with a torn black oilcloth so much cut about with pen-knives that the edge of the table showed through round the table stood unpainted chairs which through use had attained a high degree of polish the fourth and last wall contained three windows from the first of which the view was as follows immediately beneath it there ran a high road on which every irregularity every pebble every rut was known and dear to me beside the road stretched a row of lime trees through which glimpses could be caught of a wattled fence with a meadow with farm buildings on one side of it and a wood on the other the whole bounded by the keeper's hut at the further end of the meadow the next window to the right overlooked the part of the terrace where the grown-ups of the family used to sit before luncheon sometimes when karl was correcting our exercises i would look out of that window and see mamma's dark hair and the backs of some persons with her and hear the murmur of their talking and laughter then i would feel vexed that i could not be there too and think to myself when am i going to be grown up and to have no more lessons but sit with the people whom i love instead of with these horrid dialogues in my hand 
then my anger would change to sadness and i would fall into such a reverie that i never heard karl when he scolded me for my mistakes at last on the morning of which i am speaking karl ivanitch took off his dressing-gown put on his blue frock-coat with its creased and crumpled shoulders adjusted his tie before the looking-glass and took us down to greet mamma End of chapter one recording by expatriate in bangor maine